Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm telling you, we were just <laughs> so amazed by how beautiful the boat ride was in and of itself. And that's when you told me that your dream job would be the captain of this tour boat. But can you imagine getting to wear the captain's uniform and drive visitors back and forth to Rainbow Bridge three days a week? Who wouldn't want to do that? You know, you'd have to train for it. Well. (laughs) They're going to entrust people's lives to you. (laughs) It'd be more than shopping for the captain's shirt with the little uh, gold stripes on the the shoulder pads. Look, I just want you to have to call me captain. That's (laughs) that's all I really care about. This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Karen Smith. And I'm Matt Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. Today, we're taking you to one of the smallest National Park Service sites that happens to showcase one of the largest natural bridges in the world, Rainbow Bridge National Monument in southern Utah. Accessible only by boat across Lake Powell or a grueling 35-mile backpacking trip across the desert, this monument has been sacred to the Navajo people for generations, and it has a fascinating history of discovery by early adventurers in the Southwest. On this episode, we'll dive into the details about Rainbow Bridge and Lake Powell and tell you about our all-day boat tour to get there a tour that just started up again after being dead in the water for four years due to low water levels. I see what you did there. (laughs) Very clever (laughs) wordplay there. And we'll explain why this very, very special national monument should be on your list of places to see in your lifetime. Okay. Karen, you know, this time of year, we usually publish our gift guide episode, but today we decided to skip it. We're just not doing it. That's right. It's all Rainbow Bridge. It's all Rainbow (laughs) Bridge all the time. What we decided was, after looking at our past gift guides, all the stuff in our previous gift guides, we still like, we still recommend. We have nothing new to say in in the area of gift. So one of the things we're going to do is we're going to take last year's gift guide on our blog, www.mattandkaren.com, and we're just going to pin it to the top. So if you go to our blog, you'll see that. And we've added a couple of extra items that we have found this year, 2023. 
That's right. And, you know, there's a wide assortment of things on there. Um, There are some clothing items that we love and some gear that we love and just some typical gift items that are great for national park lovers. But, you know, the thing is, most of this gear, whether it be camping gear, backpacking gear, or even the clothes that we wear, it's made so well nowadays that it doesn't ever seem to wear out. And so unfortunately <laughs> for me, <laughs> I can't buy new no, things. Buy it once. <laughs> I can't justify buying new things because the stuff I have is perfectly fine and it seems to last forever. <laughs> and we're still as enthusiastic about all these things on the gift guide. I was just looking at the list last night, and there's tremendous things on there. Now I want to buy some again. I know. <laughs> for, for loved ones. So take a look at it. Like Matt said, it's on our mattandkaren.com website. Because if you buy things through the links that we provided on these items, we do get paid a small affiliate fee from wherever it is you buy it. It doesn't come from you. It comes from, what, the seller. That's right, yeah. And that, you know, that adds up for us, and it helps financially support this podcast so we can bring you episodes like the one that's coming up about Rainbow Bridge National Monument. Yeah, so check out the gear guide at mattandkaren.com. Prices range from anywhere from like 10 bucks to much more expensive for for the bigger items, right? But uh, yeah, there's, there's plenty of gift ideas out there. So check it out. So we just got back from a very impromptu kind of spur of the moment trip to Utah. <laughs> yeah, so much of the work that we do is remote. Uh, so we can just take our laptops with us. We saw that the weather would be good in Utah. Yeah, you know, early November is such a great time to go because the crowds are so low. We saw almost no one in the places that we visited. And the other thing, too, is the weather's still decent. Now, the only drawback is we were there when the time changed. So, you know, we lost an hour. So, the sunset was at about 5.15. So that's the only downside is that, you know, it's, it gets dark pretty early and cuts into your day of hiking. It was kind of confusing because Utah is in the mountain time zone. So we lost an hour, but then the next day, daylight savings time ended. So we got it back. We never really knew what time it was any place that we were. No, and of course, you know, Arizona never changes their clocks. So you don't know what time it is there, especially... The- this time of year. But anyway, we, yeah, we were just going to do impromptu visits to different sites and hike. And then kind of right as we were planning the trip the last few days, you had this great idea. Yes. You know, seeing Rainbow Bridge has been in my bucket for years and years. Unfortunately, the tours, the concessionaire tours that will take you back to Rainbow Bridge, they haven't been running since 2019 due to the low water levels in Lake Powell. And we're going to talk about all that, you know, in this episode. However, I was looking at a list of national monuments in Utah, just because I was curious if we had visited them all or not. And when Rainbow Bridge popped up, you know, it reminded me that that's still one that's been on our list for more than a decade. So I clicked on it and was surprised to me, the boat tour started running again this past August because the lake had come up enough that they could get to the dock back at Rainbow Bridge. So I could not believe our good luck. We were already planning a trip. The tours were running. I jumped on the website and booked it. And that is why we have this kind of surprise episode today. And I don't think a lot of people know about this because even though it's it's a little bit off season when we were on the boat it was only half full uh and it's such a spectacular tour 
I think if people knew about it, they would fill that boat up every time it runs. I think so, too. I think people were just so used to not having it running that they stopped looking, which is what happened to us. So anyway, we wanted to mention that next week, we're going to talk a lot more about this particular trip to Utah. Uh, We're going to talk about some of the things that happened and some things that didn't happen. And we are going to be re-recording an episode that we did a long time ago, episode number 11, which we called Beyond Utah's Mighty Five National Parks. This episode was about other spectacular public lands and hiking trails in Utah that you won't want to miss when you're visiting the national parks. We published it back in May of 2020, and In the three and a half years since, we've discovered additional places to add to the list and had other experiences that we want to add to that episode. So we're going to re-record the episode with some new places and some old favorites. Make sure you download that episode because it'll have a ton of tips for Southern Utah that are outside the, the national parks. All right, Matt, but it is time to dive into Rainbow Bridge. Is that what you said on the intro? <laughs> Let's dive into it, Karen. <laughs> All right. So we're going to explain a little bit about what and where it is. You know, and first off, we want to say that Rainbow Bridge is considered sacred by the Navajo people. All of the land that is south of Lake Powell is on the Navajo Reservation. And so this is part of Navajo land. The um, Navajo people consider this a very sacred place. It's located on the northwest flank of a 10,000-foot-high peak called Navajo Mountain. And the Rainbow Bridge is within the Glen Canyon National Recreation Area. The monument itself is not very big. It's only 160 acres. I know. It is one of the smallest national monuments. But as you said before, it is one of the world's largest known natural bridges. It is 290 feet tall from the base of the arch to the top of it. It spans 275 feet across a creek. And the top of the arch measures about 42 feet thick and and. 33 feet wide. It's nearly as tall as the Statue of Liberty. And they say you could practically tuck the U.S. Capitol building dome underneath the bridge. Yes. And we were surprised when we saw it how thick it is. It is thick. It 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 looks very sturdy. So Matt, let's explain or let's have you explain as as our resident geologist in air quotes, what is the difference between a natural bridge and an arch? Because when you look at the pictures of Rainbow Bridge, it looks like an arch to me. Well, Karen, first of all, I think it's important to say that there is no universally agreed upon definition of what a natural bridge is versus a natural arch. But generally, the definition of a natural bridge is a opening that spans either a valley or a stream. And generally, they're made from water erosion. Natural arches, though, don't always span a stream or valley. Matter of fact, most of the time they don't. So like if you go to Arches National Park, a lot of those arches that are holes in the in, in the rock formations, there's not a stream or valley running through the middle. They're just usually eroded by wind. Okay. That was very enthusiastic and passionate. Thank you for that. Now I understand it perfectly. (laughs) All right. And as we said, Rainbow Bridge is only accessible by boat on Lake Powell or by land if you want to do a very, very strenuous backpacking trip. 
Yeah, and by land, we mean like your your own two feet. You have to hike on Navajo land, get a permit and all of that. Right. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's not a short walk. No, I had originally thought when the boat tours were not running year after year that we could do a backpacking trip. But then I found out that <laughs> there are two trails, Rainbow Bridge North and South Trails. One is 17 and a half miles one way, and the other is 16 miles one way. And you have to hike down deep canyons, cliffs, arid benches, and through uninhabited wilderness of bare rock. So most hikers do this round-trip trek in three or four days, and they stop and spend the night in remote campsites. Uh, but of course, they need to carry you know detailed maps and have route-finding skills, because a lot of times there is no trail, right? Um, also, water is scarce, so hikers have to carry most of the water they're going to need for all those days. Um, so yeah, it, it seemed like maybe a little bit more than we wanted to bite off. That would be a lot of water to carry. It would be a lot of water. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you got to Rainbow Bridge, you could then go down to Lake Powell, filter water there, and that's that's your water to hike back. But even so, that's heavy. Yeah, yeah. We would recommend the boat tour, which we're going to talk <laughs> yeah. about in a few minutes. You didn't have minutes. to carry any water. <laughs> right. Well, we had to carry our little plastic water bottles to, to the bridge, just in case we got thirsty. <laughs> Sorry, there was lemonade on board. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, all right, so now Rainbow Bridge itself does not sit directly on the shore of Lake Powell. Um, when the boat docks, there are floating docks and walkways that are anchored at the back of the canyon, and that gives access to the Rainbow Bridge Trail. And then once you get off the boat, you have about... 1.2 miles to hike to the bridge. And that depends how, how far out they have to extend the right. dock, how low the water level is. Yeah. And it doesn't get a lot of visitation. I mean, partly because uh, the boats weren't running. Now, private boats can go to this site. But yeah, the, the visitation in 2018 was only 111,000 people. And then in, in 2019, it was 115,000. Of course, in 2020, the, the COVID year, it dropped to under 4,000 people. And again, in 2021, it was 3,300. And in 2022, 81 people visited. I don't know how they know it was exactly 81. I don't either, because there is isn't there is no ranger station there. And so I'm not sure how they knew there were 81 people either. But... Um, yes, the water levels dropped so low in 2022 that um, I think it was pretty much near impossible to get there unless you wanted to wade through a lot of muck, you know, dock your boat further out. But then I'm not even sure where how you'd tie your boat up. Anyway, clearly we're not boaters, but the uh, visitation dropped severely in the last couple of years. But good news, this year the lake is up nearly 43 feet from where it was a year ago. And so that's one of the reasons they're able to start the boat tours. They had a really good snowpack last year. The lake came up. So hopefully this is the beginning of a, of a trend for the lake to recover. Who knows? We'll see what happens this next year. Right. So before we talk about the monument, we wanted to talk about Glen Canyon and Lake Powell itself because it's tied in so closely with Rainbow Bridge National Monument. Yeah, the Glen Canyon Dam right there in the little town of Page, Arizona, that's the beginning of the lake. In other words, that dam is what caused the lake behind it. Yet, only about 5% of Lake Powell is in Arizona. You, you got the dam and just a little 
bit of it, but the bulk of Lake Powell backs up into Utah. And, you know, I saw a great description of it when I was doing some research. Somebody wrote that it looks like a snake that ate a porcupine. (laughs) And it's so true because when you look at a map of Lake Powell, it's long and skinny, but then it has all of these side canyons, side channels that branch out. And those also have side channels that branch out. So it's a very unique looking lake. It doesn't look like any traditional lake you would have ever seen. That's right. And so, Karen, we should do some history. Do you want me to do the history of the dam? Why it's there, when it when it was built and all that? Well, sure, Matt. Go ahead. I need another <laughs> cup of coffee. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to talk about the dam briefly because, obviously, there wouldn't be a Lake Powell without the controversial Glen Canyon Dam. You got to put the music in here. <laughs> no, because I, I have a second history channel coming up that's bigger than this. Okay. (laughs) Here we go. Let's just do it. All right. So Congress authorized the Glen Canyon Dam in April of 1956 with the passage of the Colorado River Storage Act. And this dam was constructed to harness the power of the Colorado River in order to provide for the water and power needs of millions of people in the West. And it was controversial because... Building this dam would flood Glen Canyon, which was said to be one of the most beautiful places on Earth. Yeah, before the dam, Glen Canyon was described as a wonderland of gorges, spires, cliffs, and grottos, with more than 79 species of plants, 189 species of birds, and 34 species of mammals, plus more than 3,000 ancient ruins. So when the dam was built, Lake Powell began filling in March of 1963, and it completed its filling, which they call full pool, in June of 1980. So, Matt, it took 17 years to fill Lake Powell. Yeah, and I like how they uh, consider it a pool. I know. Just just a big pool. (laughs) That's right. It's a very deep pool. (laughs) So Lake Powell extends through the main corridor of Glen Canyon. It's... 186 miles long. It has 96 major side canyons with more small ones branching off of those. And it has more than 1,900 miles of shoreline, which is more than twice the length of the California coastline. Yeah, a lot of shoreline to recreate. Mm -hmm. And Karen, did you know the reservoir was named after John Wesley Powell, the Civil War soldier who lost his arm and then went and explored the green and Colorado rivers and became very famous. Which is kind of ironic because John Wesley Powell named Glen Canyon during his 1869 survey, and he described it as a, quote, land of beauty and glory, end quote. So I think most likely he would have been horrified by its flooding. And after the dam was built and Lake Powell was created, Glen Canyon became known as America's Lost National Park. Now, Lake Powell is the second largest reservoir in the United States. Lake Mead, formed by Hoover Dam, is the largest. You know, that kind of surprised me when I read that because to me, I mean, we haven't spent that much time on Lake Mead, but I always thought that Lake Powell was bigger than Lake Mead. Well, you were wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that. (laughs) All right. So now we have the dam and we have Lake Powell behind the dam. So... Congress, in 1972, established Glen Canyon National Recreation Area so that people could recreate on the lake. Now, this is a huge recreation area. It's 1.25 million acres. It lies within 
both Arizona and Utah. And, you know, people think that that Glen Canyon National Recreation Area is just Lake Powell, but Lake Powell is only 13% of it. It's massive. I was looking at the map, and this Glen Canyon National Recreation Area extends south of the dam to places like Lee's Ferry and Horseshoe Bend. And then it also extends all the way north to the west side of Canyonlands National Park. It's huge. Yeah, it actually connects Grand Canyon National Park with Canyonlands National Park. So it's one continuous area of not just public land, but National Park Service sites. And, you know, a lot of recreation out there for people who either have a boat or you know, a four-wheel drive vehicle that they can take out on some of these really remote dirt roads in the National Recreation Area. That's right. So, Karen, you know that the Southwest is suffering from a 23-year mega drought. It's not just a drought, it's a mega drought. That's right. And, you know, the decline in the water levels at Lake Powell started becoming apparent in satellite images back in 2002. And by early 2005, the water levels had plummeted, according to the U.S. Department of the Interior's Bureau of Reclamation. Now, the lake was significantly higher in 2011 and 2012 than in 2005, but a comparison of the side canyons revealed that the level was still not back to its 1999 levels when the lake was near full pool. (laughs) Going to try to work the pool in as Mm -hmm. much as I can. The reason that the lake level fluctuates is because the inflow to Lake Powell occurs in mid to late spring as the winter snow in the Rocky Mountains melts. So it depends on how much snowfall there is over the winter. Um, And significant amounts of snowfall over the winter of 2010 and 2011 meant more water for Lake Powell, and that lasted until the spring of 2012. That's right. And then in February of this year, 2023, the water level of Lake Powell dropped to a record low. The lake fell to 3,522 feet, just below its previous record set in April of 2022. So the reservoir was about 22% full at that point, and it kept declining until around May when the Snow melt from the previous winter started rushing into the lake and, and started filling it back up. And like we said before, it came up almost 43 feet from the earlier level. It, it's now at 3572. And that enabled the tour boats to start running again. And that's where we are today. But, you know, it still is dangerously low map because if it would drop to 3370 feet, then the reservoir hits what they call Deadpool at which point water is no longer able to pass through the dam through gravity. It's gotten close enough that the government and and agencies and states have had to get together and and create emergency plans in case the lake keeps falling. But yeah, 2023 runoff was a pleasant surprise. Brought the lake up. Let's hope there's another good snowpack this next year. And, you know, maybe the crisis has passed. We'll have to see. This episode is sponsored in part by Rumpel, producing a full line of durable, premium, ultra-warm outdoor blankets and gear. Are you looking for gift ideas for someone special in your life? Someone who loves the national parks and could use a puffy blanket to stay cozy and warm on all their adventures? Well, yes, actually. I've been looking for gift ideas that you could get me, and I saw some beautiful new designs on the Rumpel website. 
I was talking to our listeners. And besides, we already own two rumple blankets. Well, sure. But just like the ones we already have, these new designs are made with recycled polyester and insulation that packs down small in its own bag. And they pair durable 20D ripstop nylon with a DWR finish that's water, stain, and odor resistant. That's great. So our listeners can shop their line of over 140 prints and designs, including their national park collection at rumple.com forward slash Bob and Sue. And they can use the code Bob and Sue for 10% off their first order. That's R-U-M-P-L dot com slash Bob and Sue. All right, Matt. So now it's time for History Channel. Oh, we can do better than that. To your own music, aren't you? (laughs) Even though Rainbow Bridge was known to Navajo and Paiutes living in the area, the bridge was not formally discovered by white men until August of 1909, when two exploring expeditions, one headed by Dr. Byron Cummings, who was a University of Utah archaeologist, and one headed by William Douglas, who was an examiner of surveys under the General Land Office, joined forces. They were guided by two Paiutes, Nazha Begay and Jim Mike, and Matt, John Wetherill, the well-known professional guide and Indian trader, was also listed as a guide, even though he had never been there before. Can I just make a comment here? Is that mm-hmm. the same Wetherill who found Mesa Verde and Chaco Canyon culture area? Hey, you know, that is a really good question, Matt, because John was the brother of Richard Wetherill, who found the Cliff Palace ruin in Mesa Verde, and who we talked about on our Chaco culture episode. So John and his wife, Louisa, Weatherill moved to Aleto and set up a trading post on the Navajo Reservation. And over the years, he collected a huge amount of knowledge concerning ancestral Puebloan ruins, and he developed relationships with the local Indians who told him the whereabouts of unexplored sites like Rainbow Bridge. And to support himself and his family, John Weatherill hired himself out as a guide and an outfitter to people who were seeking these artifacts and these ruins in the Southwest. So it was in this capacity that he came into contact with both Byron Cummings and William Douglas. Now, these two men were rivals, and each of them were planning an expedition to find Rainbow Bridge. So Wetherill talked them both into combining their resources, and on August 11th, 1909, the group of 12 men began their trek with one of the two Indian guides. This is Ute Mountain Ute Jim Mike, and along the way, they met up with Nazha Begay, the other Indian guide. What happened next, Karen? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, Matt, put yourself in this remote part of northern Arizona. Okay. This was a treacherous four-day journey across the remote desert near Navajo Mountain. In 1909, this part of northern Arizona and southern Utah was still the wild, wild west, And the only roads anywhere in this entire region were wagon roads, you know, dirt roads. Uh, There were basically no paved roads anywhere yet at this time. You know, back then, the city of Page wasn't even there. That's right. In in 1909. That's right. The the town of Page didn't even come into existence until 1957. 
and it became a housing camp for the workers who were building Glen Canyon Dam. And the town itself was built on top of Manson Mesa as a result of a land exchange between the Bureau of Reclamation and the Navajo Nation. And then once the Glen Canyon Bridge was completed in 1959, it made it easier to travel from one side of the canyon to the other. And so the the town of Page took off. Right. But like you said, that was in 1957. So Just imagine in 1909 how remote it would be back then. When we think of Paige, we have a completely different vision of what that looks like now as as compared to what it must have been in 1909. So you're saying the Wetherills weren't drinking fishbowl margaritas at the Fiesta Mexican restaurant? That's what I'm saying. In fact, I want to read a paragraph from a National Park Service history article that kind of gives you just a little taste of what these men were going through on this journey to Rainbow Bridge. Breaking camp on the fourth day, the expedition made its way across vast slick rock, riding or walking up and down numerous precipices. The horses were tired, as were each of the riders. There was no obvious trail to follow, and the journey was marked by men leading horses much of the way. The most daunting task of that day was locating a way around Bald Rock Canyon. After Bald Rock, Wetherill still had to locate a ford through Nasa Creek. Known today as Hoskinini Steps, the expedition crossed along a set of divots pecked into the rock by earlier travelers. The trail was so steep that one horse tumbled to the bottom of the grade. Though there were no critical injuries to any men in the party, the psychological toll on every member was evident. So you can just imagine, Matt, what they went through. And of course, you know, there are no GPS guides or maps. They are literally just setting off across the desert, hoping that Wetherill and the two Indian guides can get them there. And the, I bet the horses liked it. Yeah, uh, did sure. they Did they carry all the water they needed for the horses? I, I don't know. I didn't see any um, any info about the water situation. However, what is very evident is that throughout the journey, there was competition and infighting about who would be the first one to arrive at the bridge. Both Cummings and Douglas wanted that claim to history. Uh, So finally, late in the afternoon of August 14th, the riders could see Rainbow Bridge in the distance. Both men spurred their horses in an attempt to be the first white man to ride under the bridge. But John Wetherill saw what was happening, and being closer to the bridge, he went on ahead and rode under the span. Nipped it in the bud, didn't he? (laughs) Right. I think he'd probably had enough of these two men. Yeah. So once they arrived, the expedition made camp below the bridge. Douglas and his team set about measuring Rainbow Bridge. They used two steel tapes that they had carried with them. They measured the height at 309 feet and the span at 278 feet, by far the largest arch in the known world. Uh, I should say the largest natural bridge. That's right. All right, so after measuring the bridge, Douglas and his team stayed a few more days to survey the boundaries of what became Rainbow Bridge National Monument. Douglas laid out a 160-acre square centered on the bridge, and except for some minor changes made later to the corner markers, Douglas's original boundaries remain intact to this present day. It's yeah. pretty cool, isn't it? it? Yeah. So when this expedition was over, there were some regional newspapers that carried word about this discovery as early as September 2nd. But the first major report of the expedition came in 
the February 1910 issue of National Geographic, and this article was authored by Byron Cummings. At the same time, William Douglas is urging that the bridge be designated a national monument so it would be protected, and his efforts were bolstered by this attention that the bridge was getting in the press. So on May 30th, 1910, President William Howard Taft designated Rainbow Bridge National Monument. Good for President Taft. Yes, so it has a long, rich history. It does, yeah. It's interesting because it is, even still to this day, that monument's tucked away kind of in the middle of nowhere, hard to get to. I know. And it would have been very exciting to be on those expeditions to to get there and, and see that bridge. I know. It's such a wonderful part of our history. I think it's fascinating. Well, our trip to Rainbow Briggs was a little less strenuous, wasn't it? <laughs> there were padded seats, life jackets, and lemonade. The biggest decision we had to face was, do we want turkey or roast beef sandwiches? That's right. The boat tour that we took left from Waweep Marina, right outside of the, the town of Page. And the one we took was Lake Powell Resorts and Marinas, an Aramark tour, and they only run if if the lake levels permit, right? And so that's why they're offering them this year, 2023. And the marina, Waweep, where you leave, is about 50 miles away from Rainbow Bridge. It's an all-day excursion because there are several points along the way where the boat has to slow down to no wake idle speed. And so it takes a while to get past some of the marinas. But uh once they get past those points, they can speed up, and they're, they're going about 30 miles an hour where they can. Right. Now, they used to take a shortcut, and a, the captain was telling us that the shortcut is no longer available because it is now dry. It's dry. <laughs> uh, so they, they have to take a longer way to Rainbow Bridge. So some of you may have done it, and the trip was shorter, but this was this was an all-day excursion for us. Before we start talking about our experience, I just, we just want to talk about a few details about this particular trip. Now, the cost is $145 per adult, and that includes lunch and snacks and uh, lemonade, coffee, water, that kind of thing. Yeah, the boat holds... 40 people. It's very comfortable. It's got both inside seating and then there's an outside section both on the back of the boat and then up on the second deck where you're outside. But there is enough seating on the inside if the weather's not great to fit all 40 people. So let's say it's raining or cold or something like that. You're still going to have a comfortable covered spot. There is one bathroom on the boat it's a comfortable way to get there. It's very comfortable. Now, currently, the boat tour is running on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Saturdays. And they leave the dock at 8 a.m. and they come back at 3. Now, just note, we needed to be there at 7.15. Um, and it does leave from Waweep, which if you're not familiar with that, that is very close to the Glen Canyon Dam. And we stayed in Page. It took us about 15 minutes to get to the dock from Page. Yeah, so if you're staying in Page, it's a pretty convenient uh, trip in the morning to get there. I asked the captain if the boat runs in the winter, and she said they were still trying to decide if they were going to do winter trips. So as of right now, it's up in the air. I know on the website it said they were going to finish on November 30th and and not have it run in the winter. But if you are going, you might want to check that and see if they've changed that at all. Yeah. So like we said, the trip there is all day. It took about 
took about three hours to get to the monument, and then you have about an hour and a half there, and then three hours back. That's kind of at the long end. I don't think it took quite that much time to get there and get back. Now, you should know that you do have to hike one and a quarter miles to and from Rainbow Bridge on a trail once the boat docks. So again, as we said, Rainbow Bridge does not sit on the shoreline. You have to hike back to get to the, um, to get to the bridge. And one of the cool things about this boat tour was both the captain and the first mate, the two crew members, were both Navajo women. Uh, They did a fantastic job. The captain gave us a lot of history of the Navajo land and, of course, the landmarks that we were seeing, history of the lake itself. Uh, Very informative and entertaining. Yes, she was great. And she pointed out a lot of points of interest along the way. She took us past the dam, and she had a lot of interesting facts about the lake itself and Rainbow Bridge and the Navajo people. So, you know, we learned a lot. She was a great narrator along the way. One of the interesting things about taking the boat tour is, well, first of all, you're going to see a lot of the lake that you just can't see from the land. You're not going to be able to either drive or hike to most of the shoreline of the lake. And so you get to see it from the water and and all the the rock formations, which in in places were just stunning. Uh, When you leave the Waweep area, the landscape is is not very high in elevation in terms of like the rock formations around it. It's got low cliffs around the marina. And as you proceed towards the bridge, you got towering cliffs, you got a lot of territorial views of the surrounding cliffs, and then when you get closer to the bridge itself, it winds through some pretty tight canyons with just spectacular cliffs that come right down to the water, straight down, some narrow passages that are just, were just beautiful to sail through. Honestly, if this was just a boat ride and we didn't even get to see Rainbow Bridge National Monument, it would have been worth it. It is one of the most stunning settings you will ever see in your lifetime. When we left Waweep, as you said, Matt, there are just low cliffs that um, surround the lake. And I was taking, you know, a million videos because it was so pretty. But then as we kept going, like an hour later, it looked exactly like Monument Valley. There are these tall spires and towers and it's like taking a boat through Monument Valley and then as we got closer to Rainbow Bridge these rock towers kind of took on a more rounded shape and when we turned off into the channel that took us back to Rainbow Bridge. It's almost like going through a slot canyon, very narrow. The walls were very close to the boat. Yeah, the water takes on this turquoise color. I'm telling you, we were just (laughs) so amazed by how beautiful the boat ride was in and of itself. And that's when you told me that your dream job would be the captain of this tour boat. I did say that. But can you imagine getting to wear the captain's uniform and drive visitors back and forth to Rainbow Bridge three days a week? Who wouldn't want to do that? You know, you'd have to train for it. Well, yes, I'm (laughs) sure. Go to school. They're going to entrust people's lives to you. <laughs> Which is kind Let's of just a... pause on that for a second. <laughs> All right. That's kind of a scary thought right now. Yeah. But look, I just want you to have to call me Captain. That, that's, what, <laughs> that's all I really care about. Okay. <laughs> Could you say, aye, aye, Captain? Yeah. <laughs> no? No? All right. All right. We digress here. Yeah. I thought the same thing, that the boat ride 
just in and of itself was was like worth the day's activity. Absolutely. If you didn't even see Rainbow Bridge, but you then get <laughs> to dock and go see Rainbow Bridge. Now the dock extends pretty far out into the channel because uh, you know the lake is still pretty low. So they they have these modular dock sections that they add or subtract over time as the lake goes up and down. And it's, I don't know, it's pretty far out, maybe 100, 150 yards out so that the the boat can dock. Uh, We saw lots of additional dock sections that were tied up off to the side. So you knew that they had capability of of putting that dock much further out into the channel if they had to, if the lake was even lower. Right. It's pretty amazing how they have engineered this. There are also some floating bathrooms there, of course. So if people have to use the restroom, those are available. So after the boat docked, We got off, walked a long way along the dock itself before we actually hit the trail. And then, yeah, it was about a little over a mile from that point. And then as you're walking on the trail, you round a corner and you can see Rainbow Bridge. Sorry. Are you going to cry? You know, it was just such a special moment to finally see Rainbow Bridge. Like I said, I've been wanting to see this for such a long time. And there it was. And um, it's absolutely beautiful. And then you continue along the trail and you can kind of see it from that point on as you're walking towards it. Yeah, the the trail's uh, well established. It's not a real strenuous trail. I mean, there's not a lot of elevation gain. So pretty much anyone can do it. I don't even think you need hiking boots. I guess if it were like really wet or rainy or something, you'd want those. The Navajo people believe that it's... um, bad form to walk underneath the bridge. Uh, that's that's not something that they want you to do. Uh, the trail does take you to the bridge, but then also wraps around the backside. Uh, you can take that little trail around the bridge, and so you can see it from 180 degrees without having to go underneath it. Right. They have done a very nice job with the trail, and they are very strict that you must stay on the trail. This is not a park where you can just wander wherever you want to. And one of the cool things is, and this just kind of summed everything up for me, is that when you get to the backside of the trail, which is where the trail dead ends, there is an end point. If you look up high on the sandstone wall, there are two plaques that have been installed on the wall. And they honor the two Indian guides who guided the Cummings-Douglas expedition back in 1909, the two guides that uh, we just talked about in History Channel. Just just an amazing experience all around. The best time to go, Karen, what do you think? Probably not in the summer. I mean, the summertime, one, it's going to be hotter. It's also going to be crowded, more crowded with boaters on Lake Powell so when we were there, there were, there were no private boats. It was just our tour. But I would guess in the summer, you're going to have people tying up, partying. Yeah, I asked our um, captain about that. And she was pretty negative about her summertime visits because she said there are so many private boaters who come in. She said they play their loud music. They take their dogs onto the dock and onto the trail, which is against the rules. She said they don't share the dock spaces. So she was pretty negative about summertime. Uh, you know, Lake Powell is a is definitely a party place in the summer with the houseboats and things. So if you can avoid the summer, you will have a much more peaceful visit. 
you know, we loved going in November because not only was there nobody else back at Rainbow Bridge National Monument, but I don't think, what did we see? Maybe one boat on the lake the entire journey? We, we Yes. We literally saw one other boat on the journey. So November, if the weather holds for you, I think it's a perfect time to go. Yeah. Spring, fall, all those times would be great. Now, we did not have any trouble booking the boat journey about a week ahead. However, she did say that in the busier months, September, October, and of course, summer, um, the boat tours fill up more quickly. So you want to get online. We'll put a link in our, our show notes. Our show notes are at um, our podcast website, which is www.thetearbobandsuepodcast.com. <laughs> right. We always forget to say that. We talk about our show notes, and then people sometimes don't know how to find them or access them. So, yeah, we'll put a link to where you would want to get tickets. Yeah. The show notes are also on Apple Podcast or any of the other platforms. They're right there below the description. Right. One more thing that uh, we should mention is that for all of you who collect the passport stamps and you want to get a passport stamp for Rainbow Bridge National Monument, which of course we did, you will have to go to the Carl Hayden Visitor Center, which is the main visitor center for the dam. Right. It's right there next to the dam. Yes. Um, It had been closed many times that we had been there. I think some of that had, had to do with COVID and low lake levels, but uh, it was open this last last week when we were there. Right. It's a cool visitor center that you'd want to stop by anyway, because while well, sitting right outside the visitor center are some amazing dinosaur footprints. It's a huge slab of rock that they literally cut out and put there at the visitor center. And there are lots of really great exhibits inside too. So even if you're not doing Rainbow Bridge National Monument Boat Tour, you should definitely stop by that visitor center anyway. Yeah, and they also give tours of the dam itself. So that, they that, do, that right. would be a fun thing to do. It would be a fun thing to do. And I did ask the ranger there at, at Carl Hayden if there is ever a ranger at Rainbow Bridge National Monument. And she said there used to be, in the summers, they used to have a ranger station there. And those rangers had, I guess, housing at a point on the lake called Dangling Rope. And they actually could live there, which how cool would that be? And then, of course, it wasn't too far to get to Rainbow Bridge National Monument every day and and be there to greet the visitors. But she said now dangling rope is not accessible because of the low water levels. And so they don't have rangers that can live there. And you can imagine that would be a long way to commute every day for a ranger to hang out there and, you know, greet visitors. Yeah, it certainly would be. So hopefully the lake recovers and they can open that housing up and have a ranger out there all the time. Right. So one more thing we wanted to talk about, you know, on this boat tour, we went by all of the boats that were um, docked at both Wawweep Marina and Antelope Point Marina. And we got to see literally (laughs) hundreds of incredible looking houseboats. Yeah, it's fun to see all the houseboats. There's little ones and big ones, and that's a fun thing to do. I think that's that's kind of the thing to do on Lake Powell is to take a houseboat out for a few days or a week and uh, essentially take it out, find a, a great private spot in one of the coves of the lake and tie up and just hang out for a few days. We, we actually did that. 
what about nine years ago? Yeah, in um, in July and in, in 2014, Matt had a work colleague, and he, and also he was a friend, and he invited us to spend some days on his houseboat on Lake Powell with his extended family. And so we we jumped at the chance, even though we had no idea at the time what to expect. We didn't know what Lake Powell looked like. We didn't know what it would be like to stay on a houseboat. That's right. So it it was uh, a leap of faith. There was uh, several families there, some small kids. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. There there was like eight or 10 adults. And so there there were quite a few people. And I tell you, the the experience was so much better than I thought it would be. It was. And one of the coolest things was, you know, houseboats obviously have bedrooms. But when we were there in July, it was so hot. You didn't want to sleep inside. And so we all slept up on the top deck of the boat, all in a row, all in a line. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But what was cool about that, literally cool, because the temperature was much nicer up on the top deck, you know, as we're trying to fall asleep and it gets dark. Uh, first of all, we saw the bats. The bats came out and were kind of swooping just above our heads. Right. On the upper deck, they had a little bit of an overhang area that protects from the sun. Of course, you don't need that at night. But because we were the guests, we got to sleep in the area that did not have an overhang. That also gave us the opportunity to to see the bats and and feel the bats as they <laughs> as they came Littering by us. Uh, a couple of times, I could feel a bat bounce off my chest. They were just out <laughs> looking for bugs. Right. Well, yes, and they were doing a great job at uh, insect control around yeah. us. But, you know, one of the coolest things is when the stars came out and you could see the Milky Way, it just it lit up the sky enough that you could also see the surrounding cliffs. You know, we're docked next to a cliff. So there are these cliffs that surround the lake, and you've got this brilliant Milky Way. Um, it was magical. It was absolutely magical. It was. And the bats, they don't hang around very long. I mean, they have to travel quite a bit. So they were buzzing around us for maybe 10 minutes, which actually did not bother us at all. It, we actually thought it was pretty interesting to have them putting on a show for us. And then they then they went off. And we've heard from a lot of people who want to rent a houseboat on Lake Powell, which is very doable. There are a lot of houseboats for rent. But just a couple of things that you might want to know that we did not know going into it. So when you rent your houseboat, you are taking it to a spot and you're docking it for the week or whatever. You're not tooling around every day on your houseboat. Right. So that means you also need to rent a little speedboat to get you around the lake. So once you've docked your houseboat, then you can explore all of these hidden coves and all of these really cool things on your little speedboat. That's right. The people we were with had a couple of little boats. And so we were able to explore the lake during the day. Right. And as we said, there are so many channels on Lake Powell, so many coves, coves off of those coves, so many fingers to the lake that it's pretty easy, I think, for houseboats to find some seclusion where you're not next to another houseboat. You know, we, we saw a few on our way to our docking place and a way back to the marina after the end of the week, but we didn't have any neighbors right next to us or anything like that. We we were pretty private. It was very private. So we should talk about one more tip that you might not know if you rent a houseboat. (laughs) 
Yeah. So the the thing about these houseboats is you you need to tie them off very well and in lots of different directions and angles. And the reason for this is wind swoops through these canyons and changes all the time. And so if you go and you dock your houseboat and you put a couple of lines out and you tie them to boulders because the wind's coming from one direction. Well, if you don't tie it off in the other direction, the wind's going to change on you and can smash you up against the rocks. And so you really have to be particular about how you tie off your boat. The other thing about tying off your boat is usually you have these three-quarter to one-inch thick ropes that are extending off to the shore, tied around boulders. Those also... um, have a tendency to be mouse highways. <laughs> <laughs> Mice see these ropes and, and they, they know the deal. They, they know there's stuff to eat on these boats. And one night we were sitting out on the back deck after the sun had gone down and kind of winding down for the day, getting ready to go to bed. And somebody looks over and there's like four mice just like coming down the... <laughs> The, the ropes heading towards the boat. They were like, it was dinner time. <laughs> That's right. And so the houseboat, we nicknamed it, Matt and I, privately, uh, the mouse boat, because yeah. there was a little bit of a mouse problem. However, that is easily fixed, and it's very cheaply and easily fixed. Right. It took us a, a little while. A couple more beers later, we figured out that we could take paper plates And if we would cut a hole right in the center of the paper plate that's the same diameter as the the lines, maybe like three quarters of an inch or an inch, whatever the lines were, and then made a little slit in the uh, paper plate and put those over the lines like a little collar, the mice would get to those. Now, the mice spent some time trying to figure out how to get around those paper plates, but that really stopped them. So, it, if, so if you put them out maybe two or three feet, uh, they just get to the paper plate and they can't go around it and they, they go they go back home. That's right. Problem solved. So just wanted to mention that. Take some paper plates with you if you decide to rent a houseboat so it doesn't become a mouse boat. That's right. <laughs> All right. But anyway, there are a lot of really amazing things to do when you're on the lake. I wanted to mention one thing that we did during this 2014 houseboat trip. Our friend took us to what's called Forgotten Canyon Ruins. It's also called Defiance House. And after we docked the little speedboat, we had to hike in about a mile to get there. But this is one of the best preserved ancestral Puebloan dwellings in Glen Canyon National Recreation Area. And it wasn't a Discovered until 1959. It was discovered by archaeologists who were surveying the area that was going to be flooded by the rising waters of Lake Powell. Now, fortunately, this site sits back enough that the flooding of Glen Canyon did not affect it at all. So you can still go and see these cool ruins. Um, I was reading they were occupied from about 1250 to 1285 A.D., and it was very cool to to walk back there and walk in and around those uh, those ruins. Yeah, and they're very well preserved. They are. Yeah. Yes, yes. So that's one of the many amazing things to do there. 
Okay, so uh, Lake Powell is an incredible place. Uh, Glen Canyon National Recreation Area is, like we said before, it's so much more than just the lake. There's all sorts of uh, land activities. So who knows what's going to happen to Lake Powell's water levels. Let's hope it recovers because there is a lot of opportunity to, to recreate and see incredible places just off the shores of Lake Powell. That's right. But in the meantime, if you would like to go see Rainbow Bridge National Monument, we would suggest doing it sooner rather than later, because if there are some more bad years where the water level drops and the boat tours stop again, who knows when you might get the chance to see this. And it really is someplace that everyone should experience in their lifetime. All right, it's time to clear the decks. Thanks for joining us today on our journey to Rainbow Bridge. Are you still trying to work in your boating lingo? I think you should probably cut and run. (laughs) Aye, aye, Captain. (laughs) I like how you wrote that into the outline to make me call you Captain. (laughs) I'm desperate here. (laughs) You're more like little buddy. (laughs) All right, Captain. We'll be back next week, but our episode will come out on Wednesday instead of Thursday because Thursday is Thanksgiving. Well, that's right. And we know that all of you will be busy, whether you're cooking and eating or hiking or just spending time with friends and family. We know that you will all be doing something wonderful, hopefully. That's right. 